Is that Glock? Well, I'm tripping major nutsack right now. Oh, send it! Welcome to the world of winning. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Switchback Formula 1 podcast. Coming to you on a non-race week, finally. It's been... These races have become thick and fast. My name is Graham, and joining me today, he's the anti-Christian Horner, because he will lick Toto Wolff's arse, or kiss it. It's Luke Holmes. Sure about that? It's <laughs> like the complete opposite to me, but sure. <laughs> I didn't mean to leave it lick. Uh, good. Yeah, I meant to say kiss, because that's the actual yeah. quote. Yeah. That's uh, <laughs> an interesting choice of opening grammar. Yeah. Uh, I, was, I thought I was, I was really proud of her. And then, then, yeah, I, said, then, I, I, said, so. then I said lick instead of kiss, but I guess it's all the same to you. Hi-oh. You can lick the stamp and send it. God, can, can we talk about what like for those who play the F1 2021 game can we just talk about what a stupid soundbite that is when on the old have you seen have you heard that one uh no it's one of the new uh, radio celebrations on the game uh, he sounds like absolute prick when he says it great so yeah when you next load up the game <laughs> have fun with that shit uh, I don't want to <laughs> you're gonna have to uh, we're back for another week. It's been oh, Chinameka was a was a, in some ways it was a, a very busy week, and in other ways a very not busy week in the F one world. But um, we'll start with this one because you have to say your uh, what prompted me into absolute laughter last week was your your line on uh, Alfa Romeo driver Antonio Giovinazzi when you mentioned uh, by next Tuesday he'll be free, and sure enough, on on Tuesday itself, not Monday, surprisingly. <laughs> on on Tuesday, it was announced that uh, Guan Yu Zhou, uh, I guess as expected, would take the final place on the 2022 grid, uh, becoming F1's first Chinese driver. A uh, quote from Zhou, uh, the story from racefans.net, uh, but I'm also sure released by Alfa Romeo as well. Uh, to be the first ever Chinese driver in Formula 1 is a breakthrough for Chinese motorsport history. I know a lot of hopes will be resting on me, and as ever, I will take this as motivation to become better and achieve more. And uh, end quote, and we'll add one from Frederick Vassour, very chatty as always, Frederick Vassour. Uh, we are proud of our lineup for 2022, and we are confident Joe will form a very successful partnership with Valtteri. And uh, F1 CEO Stefano Domenicali had some words to say on the, on the matter as well. This is how you know it's a big, big shit. Uh, the news Guan Yu Zhou will be in F1 next season is fantastic for the sport and the millions of passionate Chinese fans that now have a home hero to cheer all year long. The pyramid in F2 is working and promoting talent in the top five in motorsport. Joe is an incredible talent who will be a fantastic addition to the amazing grid we have. He'll entertain and keep all our Chinese fans excited in 2022. Uh, end quote. Despite the fact there will be no uh, Chinese Grand Prix in 2022, but uh, it, it's it's not confirmed how long the deal is. It's suspected to be the one year. So Alfa Romeo getting there, getting seemingly winning that battle because obviously the one things we talked about prior was that they were uh, angling on Joe's side for a multi-year deal, but. Uh, didn't get that in the end, but what what are your thoughts on uh, Joe's announcement as the final as the final uh, driver for the twenty twenty two season? It's an interesting one, isn't it? But I, I'm not. I, I'm I'm kind of interested to see how he does against like Bottas, and mm. I, I just want to see him actually go balls to the wall with it. 
rather than just sort of half-hearted with it. Because from F2, we've been on about it all season long, if you listen to all the podcasts we've done this year, that Mr Piastri should be the one that's getting promoted. Now, for me, I, I, I agree with this. So surely, Joe has got to go out with the point to prove to show that he's worthy of a seat and probably puts himself in the shop window for next season. Uh, sorry, for 2023, because like I said, if it's only a one-year deal, mm. then uh, other teams are going to either have to sign him up, because I'm sure Brad is going to be licking his lips if Terry Porcher wins the F2 Championship in 2022. I'd argue that gives him a bit of a, bit of a problem, because I, one of the things that the hyphen race mentioned in their video on YouTube about the Joe signing is, with obviously, well, this is what they were referred to, rather, because there's no Chinese Grand Prix next year. Uh, the the thinking is that it's initially a one year deal, but the the seemingly likelihood is that it could be for a second one. Yeah. So if poor chair performs, it obviously <laughs> and it wins the title. Obviously, you can't go back to F two when you're a title winner. So it would, I think, it would give a give <laughs> Fred Vasseur a bit of a, a bit of an issue because, like I said, like Bottas is obviously locked up for what at least at least three years. To be honest, I think Joe is better than quite a number like. When you talk about drivers who come from F2 to F1, now some drivers perform in F1 arguably is better, like better than they did in F2. And I, I'd almost put Norris in that conversation. He was better in F1 this rookie season than he was coming out of F2. Yeah. And to be honest, I thought coming from F2, I think Joe is a better in a is a better is in a better position heading to F1 than the likes of Alex Albon, uh, Nikita Mazepin, Nicholas Latifi, uh, to name at least three. Yeah. So, I think Joe is is good enough for F one, and I think he will equate himself really well with Alfa Romeo next year. Yeah, I agree. I, I just want to see him do well and just prove, like I say, what he's got, not just sort of drop out and be overdone by the pressure of being in Formula One because obviously it's a massive thing. He's got a lot of weight on his shoulders with it being the uh, first proper Chinese F one driver. Mm, right, that actually gets to partake in an actual race and not a practice session. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, Fred Vassour has some things to say about the Teo Porcheris situation. Of course, uh, Sauber junior driver, not Alfa Romeo junior driver, but they still have that program, Sauber junior driver. Uh, so speaking in Qatar on Friday, this story is on motorsport.com. It's from Luke Smith. Uh, this is Fred Vassour. Uh, we had a long discussion in the last couple of weeks. He did a fantastic season in F2 for the first one, but you also have to keep in, keep in mind that 18 months ago, he was in F4. Very good point. Yeah, uh, we uh, the step between F four and F three was huge. Then he did well in F three. The same for F two. He won the season in Monaco, but the car is so complex, and we have just six test days for the season. It means that it could have been, from my point of view, too risky, too challenging to do the step now. It's much better to be focused on the championship in F two next year, and we will see for the future. And he went on. Vasur went on to say that. Uh, uh, should be doing some FP1 running next year. Uh, he will be, he will do for sure some FP1s. We will do some test days. Vasor said we'll try to prepare him for the future. But again, when you're doing the championship in F2, the most important thing is to win the championship and not to prepare the future or something like this. And I will ask him to be champion in F2. So, end quote from Vasor. I kind of get what he's saying because we've look we've seen how. I guess seeing slash seeing how, especially from Red Bull's side of things, when you rush a driver to F1, when you know 
they're not quite as ready as they need to be, how that could be detrimental, not just to the team they're driving for, but the, to the driver themselves. Yeah, look at Sonoda is basically what I'm, I assume you're getting at, because he took a long time, except the first race, seemed to take a lot, a long time to sort of build himself up and get confidence, and then immediately get shut down by Rebel again. But it's a, it's a long process, and a, like I say, a huge jump. And we we thought Sonoda was ready, but he yeah. clearly this season he's shown he's not. He's getting better. Don't get me wrong, but definitely you need that second year at least in F two just to get an understanding and get better grips with yourself and get your mind set on the future. One of the things Sonoda actually talked about how he needs to be just physically better next season. And look, he's a very sl- he's a very uh, well, he's obviously the shortest driver on the grid by, I guess, a decent margin. <laughs> it's, you know, it's... It's just a bit, he's tiny. Yeah, so uh, his core strength, he mentioned, needs to improve as uh, as well. But if anything, in F, from what we're seeing recently, the trend is that drivers don't always just do one season F2 and then come to F1. The likes of Albon, the likes of Latifi, Guan Yu Zhou would be another example here, Mick Schumacher, Mazepin, they all have done two or three years in F2 before making the the switch to F1 now. Yeah. Again. And arguably the better for it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like Joe's, Joe's F2 season last year was disappointing, but there's a few bits of context to add to his season. Obviously should have won in Austria the first round. Uh, qualifying wasn't really his strength last year. He's improved upon that. Uh, the other thing with this, like, again, like you, you're, you're, you're Charles Leclerc's, you're George Russell's, uh, arguably Piastri is in the conversation too They're, very rarely do you get a driver who does one season uh, Lando Norris obviously as, well, obviously as well very rarely you get guys who are legitimately ready for F1 just the one season in F2 and obviously like you mentioned Sonoda is kind of <laughs> billing up to that as well yeah it's, it's very very rare and they are the elite level of talent so very hard to come by so hopefully with this extra season the, the third season, sorry, under Joe's belt, is is ready and roaring to go. Still has a theoretical uh, chance to win the championship uh, in it's F2 a big as well. Ask. It is a lot to ask. I really like. I technically Piastri could have this done by the end of Jeddah, but we'll. I guess we'll see when it comes to that. Obviously, long layoff, so I expect there'll be rustiness from from all. Yeah, and you say with Jeddah, like he's actually going ahead. <laughs> well. The, funny you should mention that one of the other items of course this has been a this has been like a weekly news item for like the last five six weeks like is Jeddah going to yeah, be ready you've got to keep on top of it got to keep on top of it well, the latest update apparently is that it will be ready for the, the construction to be complete quote in the, in coming days end quote yeah which is surprising because uh, seeing the pictures online <laughs> that it was released a few weeks ago I have bat- I have been on this since the very beginning, I've said it's not going to be ready, and now suddenly it's going to be ready in a couple of days. So apparently it'll be ready, and it's well, the event's only two weeks from now. So, I mean, well, I guess we'll find. I, I, I imagine even if it's completed, there's going to be a, a raft of issues found when we get there. Oh yeah, definitely. There always is. It's so last minute. I don't see how it's not because, mm-hmm. like, normally you would have a month at least to test everything and make sure it's ready, but. Everything's going to be so last minute and so on edge to make sure it's perfect and it's just not going to be. I'm expecting very poor media coverage. 
between that and then like the electronics like DRS or like flag systems or these kinds of things. The, the little, little, little things yeah. that make up a... Uh, Transport for the fans and things like mm-hmm. that. It's going to be very, very hard. Yeah, so Much that was, better later on in the season. Oh, yeah. So Next season, sorry. That's, that was an aside, uh, but a quick, just a quick mention on Antonio Giovinazzi, the outgoing Antonio Giovinazzi. Uh, he talked. One of the things, one of the things he said afterwards was that uh, basically, lose that F one uh, can be ruthless when there's money involved. Something that uh, Fred Vasseur was left unimpressed by um, in the uh, in during the weekend. Uh, the actual uh, quote from Giovinazzi on social media: "F one is emotion, talent, cars, risk, speed." But when money rules, it can be ruthless. And Vasseur, in response, said, I saw the comments. Honestly, I'm not a big fan of this kind of attitude. Also, because the team gave him the chance to do three seasons in F1, and Alfa Romeo gave him the chance to do three seasons in F1. Apparently, that was... was sorry, this is on motorsport.com. Apparently, Jonathan Noble just wants to print that twice. Uh, tons of drivers would have dreamed to do it. So, uh, Giovinazzi has obviously announced since that he'll be racing in Formula E next year. Uh, we've look. I was of the opinion that Giovinazzi is very lucky to get a third season in F one. Uh, so I guess on your side, kind of no real surprise either that this is the way it's gone. No, not at all. Like we were both shocked when we was sat at Imola this time last year, and uh, it was announced that both Kimi and Gio was returning for this season. So yeah, it's it's no real surprise. He's, he was past his expiry date last year, mm-hmm. and he's done nothing this year to show me why he should be on this grid. He had two really good qualities in Monza and Zandvoort, and did now one Zandvoort wasn't his fault, but Monza no. obviously pretty, pretty uh, obviously messed up in his own way. I only realised looking at the standings of the weekend, he only has one point this season to Raikkonen's ten. Yeah, and Raikkonen missed a race. You know, two races. Two, sorry, two races exactly. And Raikkonen's the oldest driver on the grid. Yeah. And he's not Italian Jesus. <laughs> so for all, all the talk of Giovinazzi's qualifying prowess, it has translated to absolutely nothing Nout. this season. So, uh, look, I thought he was he was, he was was kind from... <laughs> as Fred Vassour alluded to just there in that motorsport.com story, uh, like, again, Callum Isla can only dream... I would have had a much better. I, mean, I guarantee Ola will have accounted himself a much better season than what Giovinazzi has done. I could be wrong, given that Ola would have been a rookie. But you know, like like Vasseur said, like drivers like him could only dream of three seasons. You know, and yeah, just didn't do enough did uh, did Giovinazzi. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, that's both obviously now officially confirmed. Both Alfa Romeo drivers parting away. So, on the lineup for them: Bottas and Guan Yu Zhou. Which is bold to say we're going into a complete new era of Carl, but yeah, interesting, nonetheless. I, I guess maybe that's as good a reason as any to do it. Yeah, but surely you'd want some correlation from the season before to understand where they could go with the car direction or something like that. That would be me anyway. I'd want some form of continuity. Be continuity. Just, mm, be interesting to compare the, the, the likes of like Alonso and Alpine. Versus, you know, Bottas, Joe of Alfa Romeo. You know, obviously yeah. Alonso in the year before to kind of get that groundwork that you're talking about, development, feedback. Uh, obviously compared to the 
Alfa Romeo situation where there's two new drivers. So I guess those two would be a good comparison, I guess, from that point of view next season. Yeah, the Bispahan, to be fair. Mm. Same with Aston Martin, really. Haas as well. Two new drivers in this year. And then 2022, we'll see what they can really do. Yeah, sure. Uh, right, so that's really the news as such. The big F1 news over the week. Yes, bigger than Guan Yu Zhou was. Uh, well... This is this is a bizarre one because obviously look the turn four in between Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen at Brazil. Uh, obviously, we talked about the controversial nature of it last week, and uh, there was no, as we mentioned as well, there was no front facing camera. Which and I didn't know this. The FIA don't have available on hand. They have to wait for the commercial rights holders to whatever that means to get it to them before they can see it. So they actually did not have. We talk about we we, we think like they have all the cameras available to them, but no, apparently this is not the case. I don't know how you can make a decision without having all the angles. Now I could understand why some incidents are waited to after the race. It makes a lot more sense. That was a weird thing. Like, they could have... Look, the stewards at Brazil had a bunch of options available to them. They could have said, instant investigate after the race, because they just didn't have the the camera angle but uh, so unsurprisingly Mercedes submitted this for a right of review uh, I do feel like their cause was warranted but also given Red Bull's situation earlier this season with Hamilton at Silverstone uh, with that incident with Verstappen I guess look I guess this was always likely to uh, to come about yeah I, I wasn't surprised when I saw it pop up but yeah one of them that I was expecting the, out- the outcome to get to be a lot different to what it was I'll say that yeah, because in the end, Verstappen did not get a penalty for it, as they did not. <laughs> the the uh, stewards denied the request for review. I got, I gotta say, when when the footage was released, was it Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday? It was Tuesday, I think. It was the same day as Juan Yuzhou. It looked, uh, it looked pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty much a slam dunk for me. Yeah. Um, so they they denied it. There's an excellent video on the hyphen race. Uh, dot com uh, or sorry youtube.com forward slash the hyphen race uh about this that goes into detail better than i could do about it but i have a quote from the actual uh the the actual the very long notice i believe as well that was eventually released what did we actually find this out on it was the friday yeah so after we won I yeah, think it was. yeah so Working very late, these stewards are between the Hamilton disqualification last weekend and now and now this. Uh, however, do, 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 let me read this. I'm going to read the excerpt from racefans.net. Um, Mercedes supplied forward-facing onboard video from Verstappen's car and 360-degree footage from his car showing the incident. The stewards accept, accepted the evidence was both new, having not been available to the stewards at the time of the decision, and relevant. However, they did not agree that video evidence was significant and therefore rejected Mercedes's request for review. They know this decision was, quote, not an affirmation or review of the stewards' determination made during the race, end quote. The stewards believe the material they had at the time was sufficient to support their decision not to investigate the incident. Quote, the stewards often must make a decision quickly and on a limited set of information. At the time of the decision, the stewards felt they had sufficient information to make a decision, which subsequently broadly aligned with the immediate post-race comments of both drivers involved. Had they felt the forward-facing camera of 
from car 33 was crucial in order to make it to take a decision they would simply have placed the incident under investigation to be investigated after the race and rendered a decision after the video was available they saw no need to do so end quote uh, before we get into any further <laughs> um i like look oh we both of us here it's no secret uh you know our allegiances to this title fight are pretty clear However, how you could say that video evidence wasn't significant, I, I'm, I'm really not sure. It's just not significant, Graham. <laughs> just, I, was, I stand near you, and I was like, am I reading this wrong? Because, like, it says not significant. Where, where on earth are they looking where that incident is not significant? Like, I, I, I don't get it. It's a slam-dunk penalty. It really is. Like, yeah, I, I don't, I don't understand how that is a pen, how that isn't a penalty at all. It it just blows my mind. So bizarre. The entire paddock looked very carefully at this from like McLaren, Ferrari, uh, other drivers. Very interested in the outcome of this because it obviously sets some sort of precedent going forward, yeah. and so the potential for they. I think the FIA danced around the issue pretty well. Michael Massey did a pretty decent job explaining uh, certain aspects of you know the outcome of this uh, decision. So I don't think because it could have easily been a, a situation where Total Wolf believed it would have it encourages dirty driving. Uh, that's what I felt, to be honest. It's basically saying to the drivers, we've extended the line for you to push the limits on forcing other people off track and just being dirty in general it, it just opens a whole new can of worms that are just not needed Toto Wolf said that it was less so about punishing Verstappen and more so uh, I guess defining certain aspects so the quote from Wolf, uh, we don't expect to gain anything, to be honest, from the writer of review. It's more about the principle and the philosophy, because if it stays that way, that means overtaking from the outside is pretty much not imp not possible anymore, because the inside controls the corner completely. Uh, so, stop it right there for a sec. He is right in the point of view that the inside does control the corner. If you're alongside, yeah. far enough, that is. Yeah, it is right, I'm always saying that. Um, to continue the quote, now, that is anyway the case. But as it was before, when a car is next to you, you need to leave a car width, that's not the case. So we just want to take it out, take it to the end, have a judgment on that, and adapt if necessary for the last few races. You can see some of the drivers have actually expressed the same opinion. Uh, just, to, just to cut in, uh, Charles Leclerc talked about how he would have to, he talked about, there's a great article, I actually don't have it on in front of me, from motorsport.com, talking about how he felt he had to change his approach a bit after the 2019 Austrian Grand Prix when Verstappen uh, pushed him slightly wide in when he went to overtake for the lead in that race and Leclerc talked about how he might have to do the same again based on what was happening with this outcome we don't need Leclerc to get any dirtier than he already is no <laughs> be real. this 2021 Austria was rough enough as it was yes so that's so to continue the quote from Wolf so that's why we're making the stewards have another look at it uh this kind of this was kind of the start of a i guess 
a war of words and conflicting ideals between Christian Horner and Toto Wolf, which is beginning to kind of enter a... Well, if it hasn't already, the fan base look, whatever, uh, you know, between the two, it's pretty toxic as it is. But it's threatening to get a little out of hand between Wolf and Horner themselves. Yeah, and F1 had the great idea to put them in a press conference together on Thursday. Unless they should. <laughs> what a great idea that was. Honestly. Bizarre. But So before the... So I'm reading now from the race, uh, the hyphen race.com from uh, Scott Mitchell. Uh, Horner was participating in the, as you mentioned, the Friday FA press conference alongside Mercedes Canaport Total Wolf when the review decision was revealed. Before that was known, he said he would have been, quote, surprised and disappointed, end quote, if the stewards allowed a review as he felt Mercedes' case was not even as strong as Red Bull's failed petition for review from earlier this year following the British Grand Prix. Uh, so a quote from Horner, we've been through it at Silverstone where we felt that there were strong circumstances to look at it and the consequences of an incident like that were obviously serious with the retirement, the destruction of the car, the loss of an engine and so on. I've, uh, so, so just to put it for a sec, I'm surprised you didn't mention the fact that Verstappen had to go to hospital but, uh, and, yeah. so, and so on. Be uh, that drum again, yeah. As, well, he should, really. Like This is all oh, about yeah, yeah. using your the power of, of words and he, sh- he should have. Uh, so to continue the quote, with this one it feels a little spurious. Great choice of word. Uh, because the key questions to ask yourself are, uh, is it new? Potentially. Is it relevant? One could potentially argue that as well. Is it significant? Absolutely not. There's been enough camera angles for the stewards to make decisions. We've seen numerous incidents both in the sprint race and during the Grand Prix. Uh, indeed, on the first lap of the Grand Prix, with Valtteri almost taking an identical line. It's just frustrating it's taken this long. End quote. <laughs> uh, yeah, I will, again, I I like Christian Horner, but I would... Is it significant? Absolutely not. <laughs> I, I'm starting to hate them too, quite a lot. It's just... I know they're doing their jobs, but it's, it's just... It's over the top, in my opinion. Very I, over the top. I have a love-hate relationship with Toto Wolf because I feel like... He says the absolute right things at times that are not just in the interest of F1, but for the fans, etc. And then there are other times he comes out and it's so bloody clear what the agenda is. And it could be so frustrating at times. Yeah. The finger wagon pissed me off last week, so he's in my bad box. <laughs> yeah, because... Um, <laughs> Horner had to debunk a few things after the race because he got himself in trouble with the FIA for uh, uh, for a comment made about the uh, the marshals, and uh, he talked about Sky Sports afterwards. Um, talked about he mentioned the, uh, the 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 famous Toto Wolf pointing at the camera, shouting kind of thing. Um, it seems like Mercedes' emotions have been a little more heated than Red Bull's. Yeah, definitely. So. Uh, there's a great story on the race, uh, the hyphen race.com uh, from Scott Mitchell. The headline, I don't need to kiss his arse, uh, was the uh, was the quote. Do Horner and Wolf have respect? There's some really good stuff in here. Um, first, no, that's what you was going for at the start of the podcast. Yeah, that's what I was actually going for. <laughs> um, you went with lick. I, I said lick first. I, I, I don't know if I'll cut that out or not. We'll see how it comes. No, you've got to leave it in now. Um, one of the things mentioned here from Scott Mitchell that, that there was a 250 word monologue from Wolf before the question was put to Horner about the uh, overtaking on the outside thing 
um, which is interesting. It's some monologue. Apparently, you just you just prepared, but some of the uh, some of the, the quotes. Let me see if I can find. Uh, it's the world championship of the highest category in motor racing, and what started as Olympic boxing went to pro boxing and is now MMA. But that's okay. We are in the ring. They're do, they're trying to do the best job possible. Elbows are allowed now because the rules say so. The gloves are off. Nothing else is to be expected. Uh, that is from I think that's from Toto Wolf, who who went with that, and then. Christian Horner was not interested in following suit in the diplomacy, as Scott Mitchell mentions. Uh, quote, there is no relationship, he said. There's a competition, and I think it was interesting to hear Toto's views after the sprint race uh, last week on the team radio, end quote. So this is obviously uh, the F them all uh, comments, which we obviously looked at, the ridiculous nature of them. Uh, Let me just wander down because there's a lot in this piece i recommend reading it um he goes on to say relationship and respect are two different things of course there is respect for everything that mercedes have done and everything that lewis hamilton has done but i don't need to go to dinner with toto i don't need to kiss his arse or anything like that uh there are a few team principles that might <laughs> <laughs> uh, but from my perspective it's a competition i think it's great that we are in this position that we're fighting for the world championship we're fighting for the constructors world championship it's the first time in seven years they have been challenged so that intensifies it i think the sport is a big winner out of this i just hope we have a hard and fair fight between now and the end of the season and from uh, so from that toto wolf said the competition is just too high you can't expect that you're going to dinner with your rival or with a rival team or with your enemy in that sporting competition irrespective of personalities and the characters nothing else everything else would not be normal and that's as simple as it is no negative emotion or positive emotion the emotions are neutral uh very like i'm sorry just I, I don't know. I don't agree with that, but... <laughs> and then Horner followed that up with, look, Toto and I are very different characters and you know we operate in different ways. Am I going to be spending Christmas with Toto? Probably not, unless you're in the panto this year. I might take the kids. <laughs> right. Um, okay. Scott Mitchell mentions then in his next line, that was a throwback to their recent back and forth around the Mexican Grand Prix when Horner said Wolf could be the, quote, pantomime dame, end quote. Um, <laughs> so the, the suggestion they would not spend Christmas with another prompted to Wolf to interject by declaring that a quote shame <laughs> before Horner finished from my perspective it's a tough competition and that's Formula 1 you don't want to be best mates for your opponents how can you be I think that would be dishonest in many respects to fake a facade when you're competing against each other uh, I'm going to link this article in the description afterwards because oh my god there's so much in that yeah, just a bit. Um, but that kind of that's a great article in one place. There's a there's many different articles in many different places, like race fans, motorsport.com. But I think that one article houses most of the really good stuff that came out of that press conference in one place. Um, just yeah. I guess highlighting the the lengths that we're we're going to here. We're seeing between Wolf and Horner as it really hits uh, crunch time. It's understandable though, because like there's a lot of, a lot on a lot on the line, but hopefully there's no more catty stuff. That's all I saw. Nice and fair to the very end. Make the most of this monumental title battle. Yeah, I think so. 
and so yeah obviously not helped by any of those uh happenings last week in interlagos where um obviously one of the other people who was looking at this with interest was lando norris because he got himself a penalty for running perez wide at that um turn four as well uh, ironically enough and he believed that the stewards let verstappen uh off the hook i guess because the runoff wasn't gravel an interesting uh kind of thought on that mm. from that point of view but Anyways, everyone seems to have an opinion on this incident, but uh, let's let's move on because uh, well, we're not even done because qualifying has its own controversy. So it did. Um, <laughs> oops. <laughs> uh, with uh, look, it looked like Mercedes were on the back foot practice one, and then bounced back, and then by qualifying, it seemed pretty clear that uh, they had the upper hand, and that indeed was proved to be the case with Hamilton taking a pretty dominant pole position. I think it was the biggest margin for pole in the dry, or is that taking into account with Gasly's, with all the penalties that happened afterwards? No, it was, it was like you said, at the, at the start, uh, biggest one in the dry all season long. It's about just under half a second in the end, I believe, from Hamilton to Verstappen. Uh, late drama in this one, as Pierre Gasly was randomly pulled off to the side on the... Uh, on the grid, a front wing and a puncture, I believe. Yes, after running wide at the second to last corner and the outer side, outer curbs are absolutely lethal around here. Um, oh, yeah. And he uh, absolutely ripped the front wing off and uh, obviously went under the car and boom, it was a puncture, which then obviously brings out the yellow flags. Uh, which, so a couple of drivers are caught out by this. Uh, Verstappen, Valtteri Bottas, and Carlos Sainz were the uh, the main ones to get caught up in this. Uh, Christian Horner was quite upset by this because he felt that it wasn't an FIA instruction. So he'd say to Sky Sports, I think this is this is after the penalties were announced. This is a five-place grid penalty for Verstappen for an infringement under, under double yellow flags, which, of course, we talked about earlier this year. They were... Uh, amending this whole this whole double yellow flag thing and qualifying after some controversial circumstances with uh, I think it was Norris and Alonso at two different points this season, yeah. and Horner said to Sky, "I think it's just a rogue marshal that's took a flag out and he's not been instructed by the FIA. They've got to have control of their marshals. It's as simple as that because it's that's a crucial blow." Uh, and he added, what's frustrating is that the race director has said, get on, it's fine, it's a safe track, finish your laps, effectively, by turning off the yellow. So all the GPS, all the signals that we have saying track is safe, even the slippery surface is gone, so there's nothing to communicate to the driver. And he went on to talk about uh, how, he was very confused with Horner, how science was cleared of the same infringement uh, because apparently he's <laughs> uh, the other one I don't really I really don't understand is Carlos Sainz he's done exactly the same thing he hasn't seen it and driven straight past it gone past the DRS with the DRS fully open fully planted and he's lifted about 10 metres before the line and that's okay end quote so Martin yeah like Martin Brundle talked during the race he said it was pretty harsh the the five great place grid penalty uh, Bottas got himself three places Sainz was cleared what were your thoughts on the uh, the grid penalties that were handed out? Uh, again, very, very late. It was We didn't know until about, what, an hour and a bit before the start of the race? Yeah, and it's meant to be, the grid is meant to be decided four hours before the formation lap. There's the actual FIA type uh, ruling, apparently. But, yeah, I can understand why they did it, but at the same time, it wasn't very clear. So, um, I'm a, 
I'm not arse about it in one respect, but at the same time, it, it's sort of annoying because it sort of takes the sting out of the race a little bit because sort of puts Lewis in free roam to win the race, really. Well, there was mad confusion. Like you mentioned the, the grid situation like four hours beforehand. There was mad confusion because I believe the initial grid that the, it was actually released had science uh, behind Bottas. So science in sixth, Bottas fifth. And I believe they actually had they actually had the cars in those spots, and then they had yeah, to really. had to move all the bits. Yeah, someone can't do basic maths apparently. Apparently not. Um, so probably me. <laughs> <laughs> so with Hamilton then uh, starting from pole, obviously unaffected. Uh, Gasly moved up to the front row, and then a Flando Alonso moved behind behind uh, behind them, and Verstappen dropped to seventh, and Bottas dropped to sixth. Yes. L plan. L say. L plan. Uh, well, sadly, Alonso didn't get a decent run into uh, into turn one. But fifty-seven laps later, this race was won eventually by Lewis Hamilton ahead of Max Verstappen. Alonso getting his first podium in seven years, rolling back yep. the one hundred and five races, hundred four, hundred five races, hundred and two. Oh, hundred and two. A couple more, and he breaks the record. I think it was. Yeah, that's what I'm confusing with. Ahead uh, of Sergio Perez in fourth, Espanol Conflich si- fifth, Lance Stroll sixth, Sainz seventh, Leclerc eighth, Norris ninth, and Sebastian Vettel tenth. Ah, uh, why don't we start? We kind of just jump into winners and losers. So why don't we start with Lewis Hamilton, uh, who, well, I mean. As a pretty straightforward drive, uh, didn't put a foot wrong in qualifying in the race. Took a very comfortable race win in the end. Yeah, all on a all on the uh, USA PU as well. So it's also great, great news for Saudi Arabia, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> that he used an old engine and was still winning the race. But I, I was surprised that Mercedes were quicker here. Very surprised because mm. I, I said before this is a Red Bull track. So Lewis has come here, dominated pole position, dominated the race. Didn't really get challenged in the race, to be honest. Verstappen actually got through the traffic a lot quicker, quicker than I think most people expected. And then didn't really gain anything on Lewis. And I think Lewis had pace in his hand anyway. So oh, yeah. I think it, it was a done deal before the lights even went out. As soon as he got pole, that was it. And he, he just aced it, to be fair to him. Amazing helmet, by the way. Absolutely love that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's meant to be using it for the Saudi and the Abu Dhabi Grand mm. Prix as well, apparently, to uh, purvey the message that is on the back. So, uh, all in all, probably one of Lewis's most solid weekends of the really. Yeah, pretty straightforward. Once he got past turn one on skate, he was lucky in the sense that Alonso was about to dip into his toe and then Gasly came into it. And I don't think Gasly was going to send it. I have... No doubts that Fernando Alonso was going to send it if he got the t- the slipstream and any luck into turn one. He would have one million percent. I said to you in the DMs before the race started, Fernando, remember the 2007 McLaren and how <laughs> badly it went? Just think of them thoughts and just send it, please. Make this race interested. My word. He, he couldn't do it, unfortunately, but... My words, I would have loved to have seen it. <laughs> yeah, uh, look, L plan. Look, it didn't go to plan lap one, but still, uh, Alonso got himself a podium in the end. We'll talk about that. But just from Hamilton's point of view, look, he talked about afterwards how he just needed more weekends like that, basically. like he, he said he enjoyed the ones where you're fighting, but 
this stage of the season, I don't think he gives two shits about boring races at the front. That's just what's required. Yeah, he's basically put himself within grasp of being level going in. The stat that came out of the race, or during the race, I think it was, if Lewis wins and gets fastest lap and Max comes out second, then we go into the last race of the season level on points. Holy shit. Yeah, that'd be crazy. Uh, he's eight points behind. 351 and a half does Verstappen have over, uh, over Hamilton's 343 and a half. And these fastest lap points, we, they haven't really been a factor in title battles because obviously in June 2019, uh, Hamilton has pissed both 2019 and 2020 uh, title-wise. This is the first season they've really, really, really mattered. They've been huge. It's massive. one point, but it's been absolutely huge. It's been it's massive, and I, the next race, Red Bull, I I really think they have to absolutely, if it means sacrificing Checo Perez in Jeddah, whatever they had to do to take that fastest lap point away, because I cannot say the importance of, if Verstappen is one point ahead of Hamilton heading into Abu Dhabi, now he would have count back in terms of race victories because he has nine. Uh, this must have I think it's, I actually don't remember what the, the Hamilton's number is it must be 6 by, by this stage in terms of race wins maybe 7 uh, but it created an opening where there could be a Senna Prost scenario where if those two were to collide in Abu Dhabi Verstappen has the margin a very slender yeah. margin but a margin nevertheless that's it So and everything counts everything counts so uh, it's amazing honestly this title battle is one of the best I've, I've watched Crazy oh, it's going to be it, it looks like it's going all the way and oh, that, as much as I don't want it to I, I want the most to have won it by Zandvoort but <laughs> it would top this season off by making it go all the way it would really nail it on as one of the best seasons we've ever had oh yeah no doubt so unreal oh yeah the, the nerves that day are going to be absolutely wild i don't know if i can watch <laughs> i don't know either like 2016 was rough enough as it was with rosberg and hamilton that this this that would be a different level yeah if we get a scenario like that <laughs> jesus christ well you say that it could actually happen if verstappen was to win in Jeddah. It would give him about a 14 point so margin. A bit more than Rosberg had heading into the last race, but a similar situation where ha- ha- Verstappen just needs to finish on the podium, essentially, to, yeah, which he, to do it. Which he basically has done every race. He's finished. With the exception of uh, Hungary, I believe. Yeah, but he was sort of... Uh, T-boned? Wounded at that point. <laughs> just a bit. But uh, yeah, great stuff from uh, obviously Hamilton and Mercedes. They uh, did what they had to do. And uh, their rear wing, uh, Christian Horner, was a bit happier this weekend. That uh, Obviously, the big talk of like uh, score marks and all this from like flexi rear wings, uh, Horner kind of diffused that during the weekend. So that kind of talked about how Mercedes straight line speed kind of returned to normal uh, this weekend. Funny that. Funny that when they threatened protests, uh, how, it, how, it, uh, how it works, eh? Yeah. It'd be interesting to see where that one comes, if it makes a return in Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. But top, top nine speed is going to be, I think, very important. It's a complete unknown we head into, So like this, like this one was. So we'll see. Uh, quick word on Verstappen then as winner of the weekend. Uh, honestly, I was pretty pessimistic 
pre-race you would have seen it uh from signing for p7 a track we believed was going to be very difficult to overtake uh bottas in front perez behind and i thought like that's this is this is a bad weekend uh this this give give hamilton the title even tweet it give hamilton the title now uh very very good start from verstappen got immediately up to p4 and made quick work then of gasly and alonso to take what was a pretty well very comfortable p p2 in which he could have we actually did pit twice towards the end of the race yeah it was it, it was amazing it was basically in p2 by like five i was expecting him to be slugging it out till like, mm-hmm. like 30 oh yeah but no absolutely aced it on the start could have even got 30 if alonso didn't squeeze him <laughs> yeah <laughs> which would have been even more insane gasly sort of got the order to uh let him go really and it was a uh, a very interesting like by Gazza, I will say. Whether it was intentional or not. Just ran very wide, didn't he, last corner? Very wide. Didn't use DRS. He turned his DRS on and off at one point. It was very strange when Max overtook him. Uh, I have to say, Verstappen was... Now, look, they had margin to pitch again anyway for softs, but the way it worked out with the late VSC late on for Latifi's car, uh, they... It, it denied Hamilton the chance to go for a fast lap himself on the mediums. Uh, again, look, yeah. they Red Bull had margin to pitch again. So even if Hamilton, you know, went out did fastest lap, you know, they have Verstappen. They had the margin, but it worked out very nicely for Verstappen that VSC towards the uh, towards the end of the race. There, they got, got that so just a crucial uh, point for for uh, that fastest lap, like we mentioned. Yeah, I think he backed off at the end as well to try and give himself as much time as possible to set himself up for the fastest lap. But yeah, he was basically on it, banged in that fastest lap. And as we've said, it's huge that he got it. Mm. It made the difference from eight to six. So it's, it's massive. Yeah, huge. Oh, sorry, six to eight. Mm. Obviously, yeah, instead of being up by six points, he's up by eight and gives himself margin that even if there's a situation where Hamilton wins in Jeddah, he still has a... A point lead, or he should be. He'll, he'll still be ahead as long as uh, he finishes second to Hamilton, whatever Hamilton does in in uh, in Jeddah. But a big from the point of view of the constructors as well, because we'll throw Red Bull in here as a winner of the weekend. Because uh, again, before the race, it looked real dicey. Um, even with you know Bottas's penalty down to sixth, uh, he was still ahead of Verstappen. Perez had a very poor Q two, started eleventh. And with Hamilton basically free to check out at the front, as he pretty much did. Uh, big, this could have been a, a championship-defining weekend from the constructors' point of view. Yeah, and it was the complete opposite. <laughs> yeah, it sort of uh, swung in Red Bull's favour late on in the race, or well, like that four or whatever it was when uh, Bottas's tire decided to go puff and blow up. But massive, massive weekend for Red Bull in that sense. A really poor start from Bottas. Uh, really, really as poor. Normal. And, and uh, then, uh, got yeah. stuck as normal. As normal in traffic. Uh, eventually got through. He was lucky that uh, it was Stroll and Sonoda he was squabbling with. And once he got through those two, his work was a bit easier with uh, cars. A little bit easier to pick off one by one rather than two in a row with uh, DRS in front. Yeah, it was the it's sort of a trend throughout the entire grid. Really, if you were stuck in a train. He wasn't really getting anywhere as uh, Alcon sort of found out with mm. uh, three cars behind him at the end within <laughs> like three seconds of each other. There was Stroll, Sainz and Leclerc. 
yeah, all queuing up to get past him. <laughs> Luckily, that Alpine's decent in a straight line. So, yeah, but if you're on your own and you saw mincemeat going onto that straight, which I, I didn't expect to really be an overtaking opportunity. No. I will say. I, I only thought the hairpin, like, halfway through the lap was going to be overtaking move place, and we only saw one overtake there, so... Yeah, yeah, interesting one. It was better than I think everyone thought in terms of uh, in terms of overtaking. Now there was difficulties. Don't get me wrong, but the quicker cars were able to. If you had a decent pace advantage, you were able to somewhat move through. Yeah, yeah, and obviously the mix up of tires sort of helped that as well. Mm. So the, the, everyone was on a different strategy at some point. It was it was crazy. Some people were extending the softs to like lap thirty. Some people only did fourteen laps on mediums. Some mm-hmm. people started on hards. Some people were <laughs> paying for hards. It was all over the place. Yeah, it was wild. It was great from that point of view. But uh, yeah. Perez is one of the few that actually was able to make good progress in the race. Uh, did, unfortunately for him, there was a uh, well, they pitted them. And I, do you know what? The more I think about, it, I think they may have been able to get Alonso late on. But that VSC really uh, was unfortunate for for Red Bull and Perez there. Yeah, he pretty much uh, got that gap down really close to the end on that last lap. So I reckon another lap or two and he would have got him, which he would have got with the VSC not being deployed. So he he sort of got screwed out of a P3, but Mm. at the end of the day, I think everybody was happy that Alonso got the podium. Absolutely. Perez Perez did a great job all race, to be honest. I think absolutely ballsy on some of the overtakes. And got the job done to the best of his ability. Yeah, and look, he's he was right. He was there and helped close that Mercedes gap to just five points after a weekend in Brazil where it looked like it was swinging away again. After it went to do, uh, I think it was eleven or twelve points heading into this one. So, look, Red Bull, look, obviously missed out on the podium, but they're still right there. Yeah, you can't write it off in either championship now. It's sort of these last two races are going to be very interesting to see which way it goes and which way it swings. Having had, having seen this title in both regards unfold all season, wouldn't it be so weird that the constructors was the one Red Bull won and not the drivers? Oh, that'd be bizarre. I would not be happy with that outcome. I would, I, Mercedes can have the constructors in for all I care. I do not give two shits about that. <laughs> I just want Max to win the drivers. That would be bizarre, given that Mercedes have led the constructors for most of the season. Yeah, but at the end of the day, Bottas's consistency and bad luck seem to uh, be throwing it in Red Bull's direction. Yeah, at the minute. Well, Mercedes have also shafted Bottas as well. They tried to leave him out very long uh, to try and get him over Perez, and they got their just desserts. Really, they they invited the puncture to come. And it did, and you can't say that it wasn't. You know, they, they look. They knew it was going to be risky, and they paid the price—a very heavy price in the end. Yeah, Pirelli said thirty laps on their mediums, and that's your limit. And Mercedes were thirty, probably going to go to. Yeah, they were probably going to go to at least lap forty, and then chuck on a set of softs and go to the end. So yeah, they were they were playing, playing a very risky game with that one, and they got punished. And I'm glad they did. Yeah, uh, yeah, pretty much the same same feeling. Uh, let's move on though to uh, Fernando Alonso as a winner of the weekend. El plan. El fucking plan. Yes. What a man. What a machine. What a beast. He looked on it all weekend, and he said he enjoyed it as well. Which is it? I think I, I, this track is a favorite of a lot of drivers. To be fair, mm. very 
very twisty, very fast paced. Watching them cars fly through there was unreal, by the way, mm-hmm. and qualifying. So, so good. Yeah, Alonso, again, that Alpine car is definitely the strangest one of the year, but they were, both cars are Anush got through to Q3, Alonso qualified P5 before the Bottas Verstappen shenanigans, and moved, up, moved himself up to P3. Uh, a very aggressive few corners, a brilliant, he, I think he mugged Gatley, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Really did. And look, they stuck it out with the one-stop. Did they get lucky at the VSC? Absolutely. But at the same time, they had to go for it. Like, there was no way they were not going to try and leave him out there. Uh, whatever was going to happen. Uh, Marcin Bukowski talked about it afterwards. Look, the front puncture, you're not, you're not risking the driver's safety as much as a rear puncture. And obviously, the punctures here came at the front. And so, I, look, they were always leaving him out there regardless. Yeah, you'd be silly to pull him in at that mm-hmm. point. It's, it's all or nothing when he gets to like the last few laps. I, I, there'd have been no point. As to pit him like McLaren pitted Norris, it was it was very pointless in my opinion. But well, as McLaren actually said, he got an actual punch. Well, there. we'll talk about that in a bit. Um, but yeah, so now Alonso had the uh, had the uh, unfortunate stat of like being the highest driver in the standings without a podium. Uh, that now changes because obviously now he picked picked one up and moved himself to seventy seven points for the season. He's in tenth. In the standings, that's unlikely to change. He's probably going to stay there. Uh, for a car that's been like the sixth fastest all season, essentially. Well, has it? Well, it's been it's been third this weekend. Last weekend it was like eighth. The weekend <laughs> before it was like fifth. It's all over the place. It, it all season long. It is the most inconsistent car on this grid. Like we've been able to predict for the most part. Okay, Ferrari should be good here. Red Bull. Should be here, yeah. good here. Uh, McLaren, Mercedes, AlphaTauri, you know, here, here, here. That Alpine car has been so confusing. You never know where it's going to be good at. It wins one race. <laughs> again, not down in Q1 the next. Yeah. <laughs> it's unreal. So, uh, look, they executed that very well down at Alpine between strategy. Alonso obviously drove a brilliant race himself. Uh, helped, by, I think, by the struggling Gasly to sandwich uh, a gap between him and Norris. Yes. And obviously Perez by extension, but um, for the first bit of the race, but uh, as and that's when Ocon played his part as well. Did he fought as much as he could, oh, like a lion, like a lion, as Alonso uh, requested. And look, he couldn't. There's no way Ocon was able to be able to pay him back fully for Hungary, given that it's, it turned out to be easier to overtake a Qatar than it was a Hungary. But Ocon did a really good job, nevertheless, to uh, actually to help Alonso from that point of view. Yeah, he gave him at least a second because he fought a lot longer than I thought he'd be able to. Mm. <laughs> Proper giving it, I was, I was slightly worried when it was Perez that the what was the one that was going to be attacking him. I was having uh, force India flashbacks <laughs> of uh, Singapore springs to mind, shall we say? But no, it was a, it was a great battle, and uh, Ocon sort of did he did the best he could. I can't believe he actually cost Perez two or three seconds. Eesh. I'd say a second. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it, it was all all helps at the end of the day. But uh, with Alonso, obviously, look, obviously big. His last podium came in 2014. It was the and, Hungarian Grand Prix. Uh, funnily enough, of of all places to be, it was Hungary, of course. I know, right? Uh, a race he was unlucky to not win that day with Ricardo charging late. Yes. 
uh, very unlucky. It was again a very late overtake. I think lap sixty-seven or something. It was a uh, yeah, seventy. Yeah. Mm, uh, so pretty pretty rough one to lose. And obviously the way Alonso's career has gone with the the down years in McLaren. Uh, I, I guess in some ways I you know when he left in twenty eighteen you know I it was very sad because obviously he hadn't had a podium since twenty fourteen. You know, it seemed. I'm sure many thought you know that was it. Like he's he's never getting back up to the uh, the podium. And even this year, when the mad races have happened, the one that benefited was his teammate in Hungary. Yeah, he's just been very. He's not been in the right place at the right time. In the same ones, Russia was another one. Mm-hmm. Because he felt he could have been on the podium, mm. but it was very unlucky to not be. So it, I, I'm glad it's happened. I really am. And I'm glad it's happened in a race. This wasn't, I wouldn't describe this as a mad, chaotic race. No, it was on pure pace. Yeah, pretty much. Like, obviously, Bottas, his issues obviously helped. And Perez, obviously, probably was the quicker car again. VSC, probably. Oh, by a mile. Probably, yeah. Well, definitely quicker than a mile. Yeah, it was Perez's car over that Alpine. But obviously, that VSC helped. But not a particularly chaotic race where you have, like, I don't know, like, stroll on the podium or anything like that as well. So. Uh, it, I love how you jump to Stroll. <laughs> uh, I think yeah, I think Stroll might be the highest driver now that in the standings that doesn't have a doesn't have a podium this season. I gotta look that Why up. Why did you say it? Why did you say that? It's not happening. Stop her. Don't don't worry about it. You you've just asked the Formula One gods no. to give to give Lance Stroll a podium in Jeddah. <laughs> um, He's gonna be in a wall in Jeddah. Let's <laughs> Uh, Alonso is the 13th different driver to be on the podium this season. Uh, That's crazy, man. That is actually crazy. Now, Russell is a part of that, so from Belgium. So mm, take what you will from that. But that is a, that's a wild one, isn't it? Like, that, has, that is absolutely ludicrous. Eight drivers this season have a podium. That's me including uh, Kibitz, of course. Yeah. So no, that's incredible. And then now Stroll is the highest one on his uh, 34 points. So uh, before we talk oh, about man. Stroll as a winner of the weekend, to be fair, uh, just to that, obviously Alpine locked in the battle out for Tari for fifth place for most of the second half of the season. And with Alpha Tari's non-point scoring finish, it puts Alpine suddenly 25 points clear of Alpha Tari. And I don't think they're going to be able to recover from that. No, not unless Pierre goes back to back P4s and Sonoda's in the points in like P6, P7, which doesn't really happen that often. Mm-hmm. So I'll be very, very surprised. So all of a sudden, that battle that I could have sworn was going to go AlphaTauri's way, that everything suggested AlphaTauri were going to be able to finally overtake Alpine. And a weekend like that happens, and that's with two races to go. Like you say, unless there's a strong double points finish where on the weekend where Alpine are only able to score... That's that's probably going to be it then. For uh, you would for say P5. so, yeah. You would say so, but you can't rule anything out yet. No, this, this season has proven there's anything can happen. So, I'd, I'd bet on Alpine getting P five, but I wouldn't rule AlphaTauri coming out. As we've said, Alpine are very inconsistent. Yeah. So you never know. Yeah, can't write anything off really with uh, with those. But uh, Lance Stroll, we should move on to winner of the weekend. Uh, finish. P6, which I think is his best result of the season, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. He's had a, maybe a handful of P8s. He may have had a P7 here and there. 
But uh, P6 for Stroll, uh, he was, again, he probably quick. To be honest, I, I reckon he probably would have been quicker than Ocon at that late part of the race. But uh, Alpine, Alpine, excuse me, like you said, straight line speed was good enough to keep him in front. But regardless, a strong result for Stroll in a season that has been thoroughly underwhelming. As always with Stroll. But yeah, a solid race. Got the job done. Not much more I can say on Stroll. No, really, no it, it didn't really, really see him, to be honest. No. <laughs> the, the only time I saw him was when he was getting overtaken by Perez and uh, and Bottas. That was it. And then in that train at the end. Yeah, pretty understated. Uh, to be honest, the way they worked out, only only uh, the top eight were unlapped in the end, which was surprising given how the cap was after 15 or so laps. And Stroll was one of those that was unlapped at the end there. Yeah, it was 50 seconds nearly, yeah. after 15 laps. How did they not get lapped? Well, I know they they put on them hard the front two, and it was uh, not really. They weren't really great. Let's say that. To be fair, if they had like Ocon, Stroll, Sainz, Leclerc, all did one stops. So if they did a second, I'd imagine that would be you'd be uh, from fourth downwards would be your lap situation, or sort of fifth yeah. downwards rather. But, Probably, he, yeah. but yeah, good result for Stroll. He's well, he's still where is he? He is thirteenth in the standings. Uh, he is seventeen points behind Esteban Ocon. Uh, oh, sorry, no, he's sorry. That's Vettel. He's nine points behind Vettel. God, could you imagine if uh, if he got another result like that? And he's not that far away from Vettel <laughs> in the standings. Vettel's on forty-three uh, points. Stroll thirty-four. Vettel's been terrible the second half of the season. <laughs> Ever since Hungary, really, it hasn't been, hasn't been great. Uh, where is he? I wonder. I'm interested now. Vettel, pretty. Ooh, now to be honest, Vettel should have easily finished where Stroll did. Had the track position easily. Uh, just an awful start from Vettel. <laughs> really, I was looking at it afterwards. Uh, just really, really rough stuff. He was like 16th, 17th after lap one. It was like something bizarre. Like he dropped seven places. I think he started P10. Yeah, he he was fine with the Williamses. Yeah, that's <laughs> how bad he is. Star Wars. Finished P. Where did he actually finish? Yeah, he finished um, P ten. So a solitary point, but that should have easily been him ahead of uh, ahead of Stroll there. So yeah, unlucky son, I guess. My son. Yes. <laughs> uh, again, like we mentioned before, he had a P five in Belgium with me. Throw it out the window. Finished seventh in Mexico. Everything else, apart from the United States, has been outside the top 10 since, oh God, France. Oh God. Not great. Oh no. I know, I know obviously he had the disqualification in Hungary, but it's disqualification, unfortunately, the end. So that's what the record will show. Uh, oh dear God. Right. Yeah. Let's move on. Um, who else do you have as a winner at the weekend? I have... Hang on, let me pull it if, up. If anyone, I don't. I, I don't actually, because I have more losers this weekend than I have. Winners. Yeah, it seems to go I, that I way. Say, I would say Ferrari. Yeah, as a winner for sort of securing, pretty much secure P three in the constructors now, but they weren't great this weekend. Yeah, you really would put them in the inter- in the in limbo kind of between winners and losers because P seven P eight is good on a day where uh, Norris finished ninth, Ricardo finished twelfth. They extend the gap to, oh God, they're on 297.5 points to McLaren's 258. Again, like we mentioned last week, that could easily end up being over 50-odd points. And it's close yeah. already to that. Definitely. Um, but Leclerc cracked chassis in qualifying. He was 
beyond confused in qualifying when uh, his teammate, a very strong effort from Sainz to get through to Q3 in the mediums, but uh, just the strategy, <laughs> it, it just didn't work out in the race. Like Alonso, Ocon, Str- uh, I don't know about Stroll actually, Stroll was outside the top 10, was he? Oh no, he wasn't actually, he was inside the top 10, was he not? I'm not sure. Uh, Stroll started on Stroll started on mediums but uh, quite a number of drives outside the top 10 actually started on softs but regardless the advantage on the mediums versus the softs the opening stint didn't really work out for Sainz at all so uh, he finished P7 in the end but yeah they definitely weren't as strong as maybe they expected Norris was by far outperforming them uh, so yeah yeah but just in limbo like we said yeah no, not a winner per se in the whole sense, but not a loser either. No, they were a gainer. <laughs> um, losers of the week. Actually, you know, sorry, I have one more winner. It's Mick Schumacher, uh, who was legitimately fighting Latifi and Giovinazzi towards the end of that race. Now, bef- Latifi before his tyre blowout, he got, he must have been so close within DRS. He, he, I think his quickest lap Schumacher's was four tenths quicker than Giovinazzi's. He was right there. And Giovinazzi made a mistake in the latter parts of the race. Mick got close. I don't think he got within under a second, but he was big. Like if it was, if it wasn't under a second, it was like one point one. He was right there, and he had t- Mick had taken. Um, he was on mediums to end that to end that race. Was Mick having gone softs? Yeah, Mick and a few drivers were able to do soft medium for all the punctures and tire problems. They were able to do soft medium and they looked good. Like I looked at a number of cars as on boards at the end of the race and puncture points for some some drivers like Bottas and the such. You could see where the tire was literally getting cut and falling away. Like the shape was like changing, almost like to a lesser extent what's on the F1 game when you get a puncture. Like they looked some tires looked absolutely awful. Uh, Schumacher's were decent looking. He was well in a better place than Giovinazzi and Latifi. Now look. I don't think he could, he would have been able to overtake them, but within the weekend for being right there until unfortunately he made a bit of a mistake later on that that you actually did see on the uh, the world feature the replay, but Mick Schumacher in the house right there with Giovinazzi and Latifi. Yeah, and that speaks volumes for Giovinazzi. <laughs> yeah, he's fighting with a Haas that has been the slowest car by a country mile. I mean, a country mile this season. So yeah, honestly. Like I say, I didn't even know that because when the only time I saw Mick was when he was either getting laps or when he uh, had that incident, what he said. Took the those uh, took those softs 23 or 24 laps. They looked better than the mediums at yeah. the start of the race. Apart from obviously on Lewis and Max, the mediums were the only good tyres on them too, really. Maybe Perez, maybe. Bottas didn't really seem to do anything with his until they went boom. Well, they're working well for Mick anyways, because he did, he finished the race 34 laps, I think, on 35 laps on the mediums in the end. So, um, yeah, and like we, the struggles were Alonso and the such, like on Ocon and Stroll, like there are 33, 34 laps on hearts. So something on that has was working very well that weekend. For a change. Yeah. So, again, like you had Raikkonen and Giovinazzi doing two stops, Mick just doing the one soft medium. So, yeah, there you go. And uh, Mazpin did medium soft. Yeah, fair play. So, there you go, Mick Schumacher. That's probably the best that they've looked, I'd say, all season, even though they finished ahead of Latifi in Portugal. Yeah. So, 
fair play, Mick Schumacher, I hope they get it. And then, um, poor Maspin didn't really have much of a chance either. And I say poor Maspin, like he, the chap didn't even have any FP2 or FP3 running. So uh, his yeah, result, as was expected, but seemed, again, that has seemed like a good, in a good place. So, yeah, fair play. Things change. All right. Losers of the weekend. Uh, do, you just, do you want to start with Valtteri Bottas? Have we covered that enough already? Or We can expand it a little bit. You just stand the Bottas things, isn't it? Gets into traffic, doesn't overtake anyone, mm-hmm. and then gets screwed over with, I would say, bad luck. But like we said earlier, not really. Yeah. Sort of. It, it could have happened to anyone, but Mercedes tested the lot, really, and uh, um, screwed them. And it could, could very big could, have uh, costed them the uh, Constructors' Championship, like we said earlier as well. Yeah, the damage must have been severe enough that they had to retire Bottas late on, because surely, if you if he could have gone on, you would have absolutely just held him ransom to just, just steal fastest lap, as he did in Mexico. But they couldn't even do that. He had to retire. It was the first retirement of this race out of two, and no. <laughs> must have, I want some money from that. Uh, but it must have been bad enough, so be interested to see what they actually put it down to afterwards when they talk about why they actually had to retire that car. He needs a new ICE. <laughs> <laughs> no, he basically, that puncture was very early on in the lap, so he had to go around the entire lap pretty much <laughs> on three wheels. Who's? Have you seen the sparks from Alonso's pov when he comes up to pass him? Oh, yeah. Alonso's entire camera is just a massive bright light of sparks. It's, it's amazing if you haven't seen it. It's um, on the. Uh, it's on Twitter. Do you remember the one from Monaco twenty eighteen? I think it was a. I can't remember which who was behind. Was it Ericsson or is it Ericsson creating the sparks? That was, that was wild. Yeah, I, I love it when the car spark is brilliant. <laughs> um, yeah, pretty costly in the end. Obviously, not being able to stay out and potentially do fastest lap. Whether the car is too damaged to do so, maybe that played a factor into it. But yeah, I guess yeah, we've covered Bottas as uh, as it is. Uh, I will give Alpha. Terry. Actually, no, sorry, I want to go with McLaren a loser of the weekend first. Uh, starting with Norris, because this is, I, there will be some confusion on this. They pitted him late. Here's the thing. They got extremely lucky. The puncture happened just before. He actually did. He talking to the F1 post-race show uh, with Rosanna Tennant and Julian Palmer afterwards. He revealed that he actually did get a puncture. It wasn't out of precaution. He actually did get a puncture. It happened just before the pit lane. He saw the sparks, <laughs> called it in. He got a puck. He was worried about the tire beforehand and looked awful as well. It didn't deflate completely, but it had begun to spark. Late call into the pits and they changed on mediums. So it wasn't precautionary. He actually legit got a puncture late on from okay, fourth place. This was not said in yeah. the, in the uh, world feed. So fair enough. Probably would have been a winner of the weekend, really. Oh yeah, happen. absolutely. Yeah, um, so I'm, I'm going to put him in the uh, in the gainers category. <laughs> could have could have been more, unfortunately, for Norris. Yeah, so in the end, finished ninth for having obviously pitted from fourth on that puncture. So, yeah, rough stuff. He was uh, not. I won't say I've seen him worse spirits after the race, but uh, yeah, he was very he, deflated. He was a bit deflated, as you would be, I suppose. Uh, man was quick flipping. That was the quickest in-lap after the race I've ever seen for someone. He was the first one into Park for May. He did not slow down at all. Uh, it was pretty clear that he was uh, pretty pissed. pretty peeved and uh, probably upset how that race went. But uh, this might come out afterwards as well. But Ricardo's issues, he'd also talked in the post-race show. He had fuel-saving issues the, basically the entire race. 
and it seemed like it was an error from McLaren's side on their, whatever their telemetry or data was telling them. Uh, apparently, Ricardo had to save. He's talking about how he had to save. He had to basically save fuel for most of the race, and he said he talked about how he had to lap like two seconds a lap slower, which affected the tire temperatures and all that kind of uh, side of things. In the end, he finished twelfth. So it looked like there are some uh, some data that was not correct from McLaren's point of view that he was more fuel than maybe he had, but for a reason he had to fuel save for most of the race. So that would explain Ricardo's struggles. Yes, because it was very out of uh, character to him to be at P17 at one point, I think it was. Mm. He was fighting with uh, Vettel and uh, Giovinazzi, I think it was, after, after he came out of the pits and then immediately lost two seconds to them. Yeah. It was very, very strange. So you'll see that likely on like motorsport.com, the race, race fans, but that's that's where they put down the struggles too. So P9 and P12 for McLaren in the end. Again, they should have had a lot more than Norris, but... Uh, sadly, that late puncture put pay to that. And like we talked about, they are well and truly buried in that fight for third now. Yeah, back to beef all for them. So Yeah. Yeah, unfortunate. Unfortunately, because been, it's been a good fight with Ferrari. So. Oh, absolutely. Just yeah. uh, ever since really Turkey, Russia slash Turkey, it's kind of gotten away from... The momentum very clearly shifted then. Yeah, I would have loved to have seen if Ferrari had run, won in... Uh, in Russia, how different it would have been, because he's not yeah. been the same as Russia, as I said last week, and uh, he's been, he would have been on for a tr- on track for a third P10 in a row if he if he had a uh, got past Vettel at the end. <laughs> yeah, well, you think about it, you finish ahead of Vettel in the end for a P uh, P9 Vettel 10th there. So, yeah, I I think you're right. I think it hasn't quite been the same since that Russia defeat. That this would have been a great way to kind of put that behind but now it kind of is a slump at the end of the day isn't it now yeah I think they're going to be very very demotivated because I would because what are they racing for now yeah like, they, they technically could get third but it's going to need Ferrari to be Ferrari and cock it all really badly which to be honest I don't think they will be because Ferrari have actually looked okay this season and not really been idiots makes a massive change yeah very nice <laughs> double stack from them by the way as well did you see that was very pleasing yeah, to the it's, eye it's very clean mm. it was not i was expecting right one wheel's not going on here <laughs> yeah someone's getting run over someone is <laughs> it's gonna go completely wrong yeah but it's no, beautiful i hope they upload was, that it, like they did with the mercedes 2019 china double stack yes i think the mercedes one was slightly better because that was like literally they were a little closer time. They? yeah but even then for did a brilliant job with that uh, since Turkey, Norris has finished P8, P10, P10, and P9. Yeah. Um, if this was Aston Martin, I'd say that's decent, but given that Norris was like fifths and fourths and podiums, yeah. Who? Norris. Earlier in the season. Now you you was on about a team. I said who? <laughs> if I said it was a famous Aston exist. Martin. They don't exist. They don't exist. <laughs> In my book, they are they are dead to me. Ooh. Uh, by the way, do you, do you, we were talking about that um, that quote earlier from Horn about other team principals kissing arse. Um, <laughs> he surely would. That surely had to um, like house Omar Safnauer from from yeah, Aston definitely Martin. Did. Definitely, one hundred percent. If that wasn't, yeah, I thought that was hilarious. Uh, loser of the weekend, pretty obvious. AlphaTauri. AlphaTauri, yes. Mm. 100%. They were looking great in qualifying. Yeah. I honestly thought 
Gasly would do his normal, probably get third, depending on where Perez and Bottas came out and where Mice came out. But got mugged by Alonso and then just went backwards. And they did the two. They committed early to the two stop, mm. and it just didn't work, did it? Uh, no, uh, Gasly on the radio afterwards, quite confused about the whole situation. Uh, basically, said that he couldn't really push for more than the corner. Temperatures got out of out of uh, out of hand. Uh, he'll be massively disappointed to having started on the front row to finish even not even in the points in eleventh. I'd be really pissed off. I don't even think we saw him on the world feed after he pit. That was it. That was the the mm. last I saw of him. I completely forgot about him until I, until it came round to the last last corner or so. Yeah, just big, big fall. Like they were the first ones really to commit to the two stop, which ended up being the right strategy. But I wonder if they could have pushed their luck a bit further on that. Other people have some good, uh, good, uh, good work on the two stop as well. Like I don't know. I feel like they maybe maybe went too early on that but their race pace just was absolutely nowhere yeah Sonoda though this where, where was he he finished P13 do you know what I, I I actually don't think that's too bad this may have been one of the few races where he actually finished that he may have fared better than Gasly in the race even though Gasly finished 11th yeah isn't that am I, I that sounds weird no, but I know what you mean I know what you mean he didn't really put a foot wrong in that sense, really. Mm. He just the just the pace in the car wasn't there, really. Yeah, is what basically what you're saying, to be honest. Which is which is fair enough at the end of the day. Probably they they should have got double points really here. Yeah, but yeah, not great. And uh, like we mentioned, that big gap to Alpine can be tough to uh, overturn that, especially with Sonoda. I mean, where how I many points is it's he on? It's a one man band, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, at really this is. point. It really is. Sonoda for the season has a grand total of 20 Twelve. points. And a car that's going to finish as the sixth fastest overall. Which has been fifth fastest for, I'd say, a good chunk of the season. Yeah, definitely the second all. Definitely. Yeah. So, look, we'll, we'll try again next year, but I actually thought Sonoda struggled less than Gatley did today, uh, even though yeah, he it just alone. It just didn't show him that much. And I just sort of forgot about him once Bottas passed him. Mm-hmm. Uh, give Williams a loser the weekend they were unfortunate to have a double puncture <laughs> with both cars uh, as in like they each car suffered a puncture Russell first uh, Russell was running, running pretty decent I think he may have been running where Sonoda was if my memory serves in a 13-14 car range he was definitely ahead of uh, that Giovinazzi Schumacher Latifi uh, thing that was going on later in the race and then Latifi Got himself a puncture as well. A poor little, he thought a Bottas was there. The TV was turn one when he it was, got no, it, was, it was before. It was just as down the street. Came out the last corner. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. It was it was very F one game vibes. That was when I saw it. Said it came without warning. Uh, this was one of the messages that was played on the world feed as well. Uh, it seemed to be a theme for some of the drivers that it seemed to come very suddenly. Others like uh, Russell, more so Bottas. Oh, oh, well, Norris's one was quite sudden, but more so Bottas. You could, again, if you have a, if you have the capabilities to watch the onboards, you might see when F1 released their onboards, top 10 onboards for the week or from the race, you'll see that inside line, that, that wall on the tyre. You could see it flapping away in some cases. This 
uh, it really was quite a sight. You you really get a sense for the the actual punctures themselves. Once I think once they release that footage, uh, be it on a Monday, Tuesday, whatever it comes out. But the TV one came very suddenly, and, and not Landon Norris. One of the things coming out after the race said the called the punctures dangerous and that they just shouldn't happen. Um, I mean, well, you're pushing it, look, really. You can't say, can't say it can't happen. Uh, Norris also called on Pirelli to make. Uh, the, this is the actual quote: "They should make the tires better. It's dangerous for us as drivers, right? So we risk a lot every time." Now, uh, end quote. Now, I will say, front punctures are nowhere near as dangerous as rear punctures. Yeah, and this was front loaded for sure. Uh, also, I believe these were, these were the three hardest compounds that Pirelli brought <laughs> to yeah, Qatar. They were, they were. So. Yeah, teams look. Uh, to be fair, the way when Russell crossed crossed the, the finish line, it seemed like they knew they were taking a risk before the the puncture. Um, they seemed to you know brush it off. It, uh, they, I think they were just taking the risk, and they knew that this could happen. So I think they did try their luck. Whereas Bottas was much more, I'm sure, I'm sure a surprise for Mercedes. Oh, it definitely was. So I think Williams kind of knowingly pushed their luck. Anyways, Russell finished P17 in the end behind Schumacher. And uh, Latifi DNF'd. Um, a, a s- sloppy stuff with the VSE, by the way. I know it's a tight space to motorbike bike track, but yeah, I'm sure Hamilton and it. company oh. will be peeved. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, Williams, no rough weekend for them. They weren't looking... For, their, their middle of the season really stood to them because they've... Ugh, really since Cota, or maybe even before that, they've just... It was definitely before. Yeah. I, I just think they've given up with the car. That's why it's just... They've they've stopped developing it, and it's just... That's it. Well, most of the teams haven't done any developments for a while. Again, I'd be hard-pressed like that, like Mercedes and, you know, Red Bull pushing on with theirs but most most teams they bring spec upgrades really that have been planned well in advance but uh, so most cars really like any your most teams fully fully focused on 2022 I, I feel i feel like very few upgrades have gone on that car on that williams but they've just got the way they their i guess their their scoring streak came at a at the right time i, I really feel that alpha male has been better for five or so races easily at this stage yeah, Alfa Romeo definitely have been. They've been very unlucky in certain races. But uh, it'd be interesting to see if that... How many points did... What, Russell got... What, 15 points, a half... What, seven and a half points for Spa? No, it was more than that, wasn't it? He was second, was he not? Uh, third. Was he not? I, pr- was, I think he may have been... Who else was on the podium with him? It was Hamilton, was it not? Yeah, second yeah. the second about us. We got nine points for that. Um, yeah. So I, and the gap between Alfa Romeo and Williams, it's twelve oh, points. But it would be interesting, right? If Alfa Romeo somehow picked up some late points, and that was the difference between the two. I'm I'm sure we'll see, we'd see Fred Vasseur with some uh, some comments to make. Oh yeah, definitely. The gap, what I'm trying to say, the gap between Williams and Alfa Romeo shouldn't be as big as it is, but Williams' scoring streak, obviously Hungary played into their hands very nicely as well. Yeah, it definitely does. So uh, I think, yeah, Williams, I think will end. When we look back at the season, I think we'll see a team that punched above where it should have finished. Yeah, but at the same time, it's overdue, really. They've been in the back for God knows how long. So oh, yeah. Yeah, sort of. 
take it with a pinch of salt. Um, any other losers of the weekend? Do you have? No, not really. Giovinazzi cool. for fighting with a Haas. Yeah. <laughs> Again, yeah. Schumacher was decently quicker as well, just stuck in dirty air. So. <laughs> yeah, he was madly in front. So, uh, yeah, rough one. And, yeah, obviously he lost his seat during the week, so a bit, of a, a bit of a double whammy. Supposedly he knew, I think, after Mexico. Yeah. No, no I'm not surprised. So, he'd, uh, have known, uh, he'd have known a Bahrain groom. <laughs> <laughs> Pre-season test. Uh, one last ride, guys. One last ride. <laughs> uh, no surprise that there's a, just a story on motorsport.com that prey to investigate uh, Qatar F1 tire failures. Um, I mean, it was a high-speed track, and they pushed the log a lot of them. So per- it's not like it's not like past Pirelli punctures where we were all going on at Pirelli saying it's just random and it shouldn't be happening. And I don't think it's Pirelli's fault this time. To be fair, they per- per- uh, they initially suspect that the serrated curbs, these are the gr- the green and white ones on the outside, um, possibly to blame. But I'm sure we'll get some spin-off of some. Now, to be fair, it's, if they talk about the weather, <laughs> if they're talking about sudden punctures, it would make sense if these serrated ones had something to do with it. Yeah, no, no, not fair. So, yeah, I'm sure we'll hear more about it next week. But because uh, yeah, we actually have a a week to cool down after a triple header, a uh, pretty action packed triple header, but a triple header that started off with Verstappen and Red Bull uh, in Mexico and has ended with Mercedes on the seemingly on the front foot heading into these last two races. Yeah, and looking very, very in form. I know this is very, very worrying. As a, <laughs> as a Max, as a Max, um, what's the word? Not fan, Max backer, shall we say. Well, I'll tell you what, I put 20 quid on Verstappen to win the title at the beginning of the season. Um, not great odds, I'm going to be honest. Like, the maximum cash out for this mm. is 68 euro um, there's an option to cash out now for 25 euro 91 cents I I, I, I I think I'm going to pull the trigger I, I think I am wow yeah be ballsy Graham for God's sake I'm, have I'm, faith in, in the man see I I don't know I, I think I think we're at, at crossing roads here yeah I, I, so I, been very pissed off a weekend so, as, as my mate has found out he's uh, not been at the very he's been at the uh, end of my uh, anger towards Mercedes <laughs> I've been uh, very defeated yeah I'm feeling it too I, I think I'm going to pull the trigger on that I I think actually Verstappen I think Hamilton's favourite if you go look on I'm going to see on Bet365 but I think actually Hamilton's actually favoured to win the title, despite God, the last two races, uh, despite Verstappen being ahead, still, yeah. Um, Verstappen and Red Bull seven to one. I think that takes into account constructors. Yeah, Hamilton and Mercedes four to five. Verstappen and Mercedes five to two. It kind of ebbs and flows. Um, drivers outright. Hamilton four to six. Verstappen six to five. So there you go. Hamilton is favoured to uh, to do it from here. So if you're optimistic on Red Bull, I want to make a few quid with uh, two races to go. I mean, go for it. Like you put you put uh, put five quid on, you get eleven back. So however confident you're feeling that 
they could still do this. You could win some money. Uh, I am. We are not promoting gambling, Graham. Are you sure? <laughs> yes. <laughs> we'll get that message gamble. in there before someone comes in. You've lost me a lot of money. Gamble responsibly. <laughs> I only. Yes. I I do race bets of one euro, so I got some good ones with Alonso and Mercedes retirement today. So works out for me. But yes, gamble responsibly, please. Uh, don't be like me. Don't bet twenty quid like I did at the start of the season to uh, for a, a likelihood that is not going to occur. <laughs> but I'll be cashing out on that one. Me think so. Yeah, like uh, this triple header seems to have like Ferrari now comfortably have McLaren, uh, Alpine very comfortably ahead of Alfatari after this triple header. A lot of things have seen. I've not well, not, not a lot of things. Like, a few things have been settled in this triple header. The titles fight is not one of them, but seems to be swinging a certain way yeah the pieces have fallen into place the puzzle is almost complete yeah is basically where we're going with that 20 rounds in now we are just two left yeah and next race is round 21 21 but uh, but (laughs) speaking of there's some f1 and football crossover with obviously the world cup taking place in qatar and apparently that's the reason we're not getting a race in qatar next next year yeah because it's literally it's a year to the day I think it was yesterday or today yeah for the race day it takes place yeah so uh, So. that makes a bit more sense now I didn't think of that at the time well they could just do it early on in the season I know right what's the do do triple (laughs) header at the start of the season barring Saudi Arabia and Qatar yeah that would be a wild one to start but that is F1's last triple header done and uh, decisive in in some regards very decisive (laughs) Um, yeah, well, we'll see how decisive in the end it turned out to be. Uh, starting yeah. into Lagos, we'll find out. The two weeks until Saudi Arabia, it's a back to back. I'm actually so glad it's a back back to end because, unlike 2016 when it came down to the wire, it was not back to back. It was Brazil, and then two weeks, I believe, and then Abu Dhabi. Mm-hmm. So these will be sorted quickly. <laughs> yeah, get the pain over and done with. Yeah. Instantly. <laughs> So we'll, we'll we'll talk about Saudi Arabia from F2 and F1 standpoint next week. But yeah, yeah, there you go. I find it funny that you still have confidence it's going ahead. I'm back in the train <laughs> going ahead until we are literally there and car is on the track. Yeah, we'll see. They say it's about to be done. We'll find out. Sure. Uh, of course, if it was to not go ahead and nothing replaced, that would obviously favour very much so uh Verstappen from the driver's point of view and Mercedes from a constructor's point of view. Yes, it would. It would indeed. So uh, we'll see what happens. Right. Is there anything else you'd like to add on Qatar? It actually turned out to be better than I thought it would be, to be honest. Yeah. Race rating out of 10. Give it a 7. Why not? Yeah. 7's about right. Yeah. Not amazing, but not boring. Yeah. I'm happy with that. Take the punches out and it's very boring. But... Yeah. Drama. <laughs> drama there. Yeah, and the Alonso podium probably, yeah, take, they could probably take that one out as well. If you could knock it down a few re- uh, pegs, I reckon if uh, that was uh, not happening. Yes. Speaking of Alonso, mm-hmm. I've just I'm just scrolling down my Twitter feed, and uh, Nate Sp- Nate Saunders from ESPN has uh, tweeted this: Since Hamilton and Alonso were last on a podium together, Hungary 2014, mm-hmm. Hamilton has won six titles. Alonso has driven for three different F1 teams, taken a, sabbat- a sabbatical, come back. Won Le Mans, raced at two Indy 500s and failed to qualify for another, and raced at the Dakar Rally. <laughs> That's, That's crazy. Throwing the Daytona victory as well. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Max Verstappen wasn't even in F1. 
with Alonso's yeah, that, last that's on the podium. Yeah, that's mad, isn't it? Um, drivers who weren't on the grid when Alonso last took a podium. Are you ready for this? I'm just putting this on the top here. Go for it. Esteban Ocon, mm-hmm. Lance Stroll, yeah. Carlos Sainz, Charles yeah. Leclerc, Lando yeah. Norris, Pierre Gasly, Yuki Tsunoda, Antonio Giovinazzi, Mick Schumacher, George Russell, Nikita Mazepin, Nicholas Latifi. That's 12. And, yeah. <laughs> the only drivers who were there, who are still here, Hamilton, Perez, uh, Vettel, Ricardo, Raikkonen, Bottas. That's ridiculous. So, <laughs> just to show you. You thought it was long between Raikkonen winning races from 2013 and 2018. This, my friend, is a longer stretch. I can't wait for the stats to come out. Hopefully, if Alonso wins a race next year, from 2013 to 2022 would be the gap. Big gap. Big, big gap. I hope we see it for a multitude of reasons. Yeah, same. So, uh, right. Um, do you have anything else to throw in here before we finish off? I believe you do. You have something special planned. I have... Oh, I've sort of run out of teams. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's not let's not be around the bush. We've sort of gone through all the uh, abstract teams of the nineties uh, and the noughties or whatever, mm-hmm. the randomness. So instead, we're going to go to random tracks and try and throw you off off the scent. Ooh, there's a lot of random so we're, ones. We're going to stick in the nineties. Okay. Now this one's an easy one to bet us in, and we'll get it harder and harder as we go. I reckon Don't even though. think about it. Don't even think about okay. saying anything to okay. what I just said. Carry on. So we're going to 1993. 93. And we're going to the European Grand Prix. Oh, ha. very simple. Because I know, uh, finish your pre, finish prepping this. I already know the answer, but finish, finish your, finish setting so, the table, if you will. If you're a good friend to me, you know where I'm from. You know this track is my local track. Mm-hmm. It is probably one of my favorite tracks in the country. It is um, an iconic track. Should have been on Formula One. Yeah, should have been. replace the British Grand Prix. Yeah. But it never did because money. Mm-hmm. Ran out. And they sort of ripped up half the track and then didn't sort of finish it off. It would have been amazing for me because I'd have literally 20 minutes on the road from me. But what track am I referring to? You're referring to a track that has one of, if not the greatest lap ones in Formula One history. By who? Can you say? By Ayrton Senna. In the wet. Who went on to win a very memorable F1 trophy because yep. Sega, I believe, sponsored this event. Yes, they um, did. Was, am I correct in thinking the trophy was Sonic the Hedgehog related? I, I want to say yes. I'm I not want, 100%, but I want to say yes. Go look at that. Um, one race won by Ayrton Senna. Ayrton Senna. The track is, of course, Donington. Simply Sausage's yes. uh, Donington Circuit. Yes, what well, what an iconic track! Yeah, European. Yes, uh, I tried to throw you off a little bit there, but I I knew. To be honest, it's yeah. isn't it wild to think that at some point in like not, not even like in the last decade, like there was a big chatter of whether this Dynton was going to replace Silverstone. Doesn't that seem mad? To yeah, think that now? was eight, eight nine years ago. This was before I believe the Silverstone layout changes as we know today. Yeah, no, in fact, that's ten years plus. 10 years plus because we had this layout we've had this layout for quite a long time yeah this is this year marked 10 years since the layout we know now at Silverstone 
Uh, first place trophy was indeed a Sonic the Hedgehog uh, holding a trophy. This is this is Gaga up there. One of the F one of F one's great trophies with the gorilla from France, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so. That lap from Ayrton Senna, I believe, is on YouTube on F1's channel. I recommend looking. I might actually try and find that link it. Uh, yeah, Ar- arguably, if it wasn't for the lead of the race, like how, like you, we talked about great lap ones. Obviously, Kimi's lap one from Portugal last year. It's got to be close in this conversation. This probably would take it just because it was for the lead of the race for yeah, Senna. But, but Kimi's lap one of Portugal was unreal. <laughs> Made up more places, I'd say, than Senna did here. But he definitely did in a worse car. Oh, absolutely, in a far worse car. Absolutely. Now, to be fair, that '93 Williams was a very, very good car. Obviously, title won by Alan Prost, which he promptly retired afterwards. Uh, McLaren won a few races in '93, uh, but yeah, that that lap one was a uh, yeah, that was a. Well, I mean, it is the best lap one I believe F one in history. So. Um, yeah, he's definitely up there. I have a little quick tr- uh, on the bounce trivia question for you. Okay. Can you name the last European Grand Prix in Formula One? Now, the immediate answer that sprung to mind for me is Valencia. But I want to say I'm wrong. You are indeed incorrect. Ooh, what year are we talking? 2016, I believe. European. Mm. A track still in the F1 calendar today. Still on the calendar. Still on the calendar. European Grand Prix 2016. I have another hint if you need it. I do need it. Um, This track made its debut in 2016. Oof. That should narrow it down pretty well. It it should. (laughs) I want to say France. Not France. That was 2018. Track made its debut in 2016 at the European Grand Prix now has a different name to reflect its nationality. Couldn't tell you. I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Azerbaijan. Baku. Yes, of course. 2016 yes, of course. European Grand Prix and it has gone as the Azerbaijan Grand Prix since 2017. I believe yes. that was the last European Grand Prix in yes. Formula One. Because if I had that, Nürburgring's been European Grand Prix a couple of times. Mm. And last year, of course, it San was Marino. not. Yeah. So, of course, it was uh, there you the, go. Uh, what's it? Eiffel Grand Prix. Yeah, and obviously it's been even well, even uh, the European Grand Prix has been mostly. I associate mostly with that, the Nurburgring. Yeah, I do as well. Um, yeah. You with obviously Valencia obviously was what five years, uh, four years, five years, four years. So from 08 to 2012. Yeah. So yeah, there you go. That was a little fun one for you. <laughs> right, I don't believe there's any breaking news. Uh, other than the only thing that really came out afterwards was like the Horner had to go apologise to the uh, to the marshals. Wow, um, what a guy! After his pre-race comments that we looked at earlier, uh, extra long edition. I'm so sorry. Um, again, if you're not listening in one and a half or two times speed, uh, commiserations for this this, year, this entire year. <laughs> We've been I've been sat here since twenty to seven. I know. Half past eight. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> to be honest, like, if we did this podcast last year, there would not be, or even 20, 2019, uh, you know. We would be done in 20 minutes. We really would be. So, you know, it speaks oh, to Oh, Hamilton me. won again. Yeah. Oh, there you go. And not much happened elsewhere. Congrats. 
So yeah, we've been very. Like, I guess we've been lucky that there have been so many. There's so many things to talk about because we're not stuck for topics at all and haven't been really all year. Well, to be honest, I'm getting tired of you. <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired of your shit jokes. Yeah. Well, hey, come on. I don't have any. I, look. You've not done it to me in a while, to be fair. But when they do arrive, they are. They are perfect. It's not an invitation to do it to me tomorrow either. <laughs> I don't know what this tomorrow is that you refer to. You know why exactly what I mean. <laughs> oh, dear. Yes. Well, what even is the track this week? We were at Silverstone following enough. Oh, we're racing. You say we're racing. Yeah. We're, oh, jeez. Right. Well, Yay. should be fun. Uh, right. That's going to do it for another edition of the Switchback Formula One podcast. Getting close to, we won't, we won't hit fifty by the, by the end of this year, but we'll be uh, getting into the forties. Into the uh, nevertheless. Excuse me. What did you just say to me? I, I want to make it fifty. Well, by all means, we're going fucking <laughs> two to end the season a week. <laughs> by all means, you might be on your own, but. Uh, <laughs> No, plenty. Why not? Look, the season is ending soon enough, but we've got I got a bunch of ideas. I'm sure you do too for yes, I do. podcasts at the end of the season. I mean, obviously, we might not do every week. We might settle down a bit, give ourselves some time Over off. Christmas, definitely will. Um, but plenty to do because it could be a big gap to bridge from December to what, pre-season testing f- late February In usually. March. Yeah. Early or so. Early March. Plenty of stuff to look forward to, but for now, yeah, that's going to do it for another edition of the Switchback Formula 1 podcast. I've been Graham. I've been the marshal of the Christian Horner insulted. <laughs> and uh, we shall see you next time. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>